Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's truth. What a great year we continue to have here in the New Testament as we study the life of the Savior, Jesus Christ, as well as what his early apostles said, including what the apostle Paul taught in his gospel there as well. And uh, we've been moving along. We've seen the epistle we've read is and studied his epistles to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and so forth. And this, in the next two uh, lessons today and next week, we get the epistle to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people living in the land of Israel. Uh, so this is interesting. We've seen all along that what they have in common here is that uh, they are all still living the law of Moses. They accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they still feel the need to uh, to keep the law of Moses. Uh, the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve are preaching pro-law of Moses. Paul's the only one not teaching that. He's gotten people to come over to his side. He calls it my gospel because he feels he's the only one teaching that you don't that you need to keep the Ten Commandments, but you don't need to keep the law of Moses. Uh, so he's got Timothy, he's got Titus, he's got Barnabas, uh, he's got uh, Mark. Uh, so he's starting to get a lot of followers there and, and high-profile names uh, in the Scriptures in the New Testament. But uh, we don't know who wrote the Hebrews. Uh, it's, uh, the literary scholars uh, have proven that it's a, certainly a different literary style than that we find in Paul's other epistles. Uh, nevertheless, it is still somebody very familiar with the um, uh, Old Testament uh, Ju uh, Judaism, the Old Testament Jewish religion, the law of sacrifice. They're familiar with the temple. Uh, at the same time, they also accept Paul's view that you don't have to keep the law of Moses. And that's what uh, Hebrews is going to be big on, that you don't have to keep the law of Moses. Jesus is greater than the law of Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the sacrifice of the high priest. Okay, so that's what we'll be looking at as we look into the Hebrews uh, teaching and testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of that same Lord and God, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead. He sits at the enthroned at the right hand of the Heavenly Father in splendor and glory. Okay, let's take a look here today. Uh, we'll look at Hebrews uh, 1 through 6. So we'll start with Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. He would call the prophets. The prophets were always called outside of the church, outside of the kingdom of God to then advise the head of the kingdom of God, the head of the church, you know, as, as to their responsibilities and their roles and what God, you know, had had for them, right? So uh, you have the prophets coming in from the outside to counsel uh, King David and King Solomon, all the presidents and kings of the church uh, being called by the prophets on the outside of the leadership of the uh, kingdom, Okay, so uh, sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, and he often did it in other ways too, and uh, through the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see that in 
with uh, Elisha, they did with, with Elijah, and with several of the other prophets as well. Hath in these last days, these days, uh, this 2,000 years ago, spoken unto us by his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Now again, only an account of this earth give I unto you. Remember, the important thing, got to always keep this in context, what we learn from the book of Moses. In the book of Moses, Moses sees many different planets inhabited, uh, and, but then he's told that only an account of your earth give I unto you. So when they talk about that Christ being the uh, one who created the, uh, the, by whom he also made the worlds, that again is within the context of the, hev the heavenly father, his direct father's kingdom. Now, we've seen before that an earth is the planet. We looked at this back in Doctrine and Covenants, section 76. The worlds are, are, are the peoples, the generations. So basically, you have multiple worlds, multiple generations of mankind here upon the earth. So he's not just, and we saw this also in Acts 17, he's not just the savior of the people in his own day. He's the savior of all the generations, all the worlds of mankind who have lived on this earth, at least since the days of Adam. Another very important point to keep in mind. Okay, remember even Hiram Smith, the brother of Joseph, was quoted as having said that there were prophets who lived before the time of Adam. Okay, so we'll continue now on and... Um, who Jesus Christ, being made the brightness of his glory, shared the same glory of, of God, and express image of his person. In other words, a body of flesh and bones. Uh, some people try to think that he looks exactly like the, the Heavenly Father, like as if they're identical twins. Uh, that you know, is not necessarily the case. Uh, when they talk about the express image of his person, they're just saying, they're just trying to say he has a body of flesh and bones, just as the Father has a body of flesh and bones. Okay. Don't need to read into more than that. Whether or not they look the same doesn't matter. It's not what the context of the scripture is saying. Context of scripture is trying to say that he has a body of flesh and bones the same as the Father. So he's an express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. Uh, by suffering both in Garden of Gethsemane and upon the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and I testify that's still true today. 2,000 years later, he's still sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. Being made so much better than the angels, right? Because the angels don't sit at the side of God, right? As hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Yeah, he is our Lord, our God, our Savior, our all. The angels are not. For unto which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, this I have begotten you? Never said that to any angels, right? He only said that to Jesus Christ. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Never said that to any angel. He only said that to Jesus Christ. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. He never said about any other angel, only about Jesus. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That's all he said about the angels. 
But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou wast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, and again, remember, remember, isn't it interesting? The same principle comes up again and again, almost in every one of these lessons, all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Totally, God's character is totally contrary to that being preached in the media, preached in the streets of today. Nowhere does it preach the same uh, Jesus Christ and the same uh, God, right? This God, the Bible, all the way through, hates sin. He's not tolerant of sin. He doesn't love sinners. It keeps saying it over and over again. He hates sinners. He hates sin. Here it is again. He hates iniquity. He hates sin. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with all the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hand. So again, earth being different than the worlds, right? You just said plural worlds because multiple generations of mankind on this earth. Don't take it out of context. I know. Yes, we can point to some, even the highest administrative leaders of the church who've made it sound like they, they believe that Jesus Christ is somehow some savior of some other planets. That is not the case. They have their own savior and, and so forth. Thus, the principle of God, that's the universal order of the universe. That's how things work. Jesus Christ is the savior of this earth and all the worlds, all the generations <coughs> of mankind who have lived on this planet, just as it says here in Hebrews. You laid the foundation of the earth, not the earth, not the planets, the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm cold. I've been a subject of some people with colds this week, and uh, I've kind of got it in my throat a little here. Okay. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they also wax old as doth the garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels did he ever say, sit on my right hand? Never said it to any of the angels, only to Jesus. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits? The second time he's trying to emphasize that point. Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. They're only servants to those who are going to be heirs of salvation. All of you who, who obtain salvation will be above the angels, right? Is it interesting? Another one, false apostate, uh, you know, false Christians out there, apostate Christians, you evangelicals, you Protestants, who've attacked the true church of Jesus Christ, tried to blame them for the thinking that they can become gods. But yet, boy, isn't it interesting? Hasn't every lesson, or almost every lesson, since we looked at starting with the Book of Romans, been taught the same principle over and over and over and over again? Here, even being taught once again here, the the that the ministering spirits, the angels, will minister to those who will be heirs of salvation. So, those who will be obtain salvation, all humankind, 
will be above the angels. So you have humans, angels. What's above an angel? God. There's nothing else there. It's God, angel, humans. So if you're above the angels, you are a God. You're never equal to God, our eternal heavenly father. He's still God, our eternal father. We will always, always worship him. But we are a, if you will, a small letter G uh, God, for example, right? Above the angels. The angels will be serving us. <clears throat> okay, so same principle. Whether Paul's teaching it here again or Timothy's teaching it, as it says at the end of Hebrews written by Timothy or some other, whoever it was who was inspired to write a book, Hebrews, they're teaching the same principle once again. That is biblical doctrine. Chapter 2, and then we'll look at uh, 5 through 10. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. He just said that Jesus Christ hair all things of the Father, and that all things are subject to him, but he never put all things under the subjection of, of any angel. But what in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set us over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Him, right? So Jesus Christ born as a babe in Bethlehem, descended below the angels so he could become exalted above the angels once again. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, again, within the context of our heavenly father's realm, right? We don't care about what happens in some other some other galaxy, you know, far, far away. We care about what happens under our heavenly father's realm of under his governance. Okay, for both he that sanctifieth, let's see, for it became him, verse 10, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of the salvation perfect through service. Now, that's the first time. We're going to also get that over here in chapter 5. Jesus Christ became perfect through the things that he suffered. He was not perfect until, the, until he suffered the things that he did. Question, when was, when was the most suffering in Jesus' life that he experienced? The last 24 hours of his life. He was not therefore perfect until he rose from the dead. Perfectionists out there often try to uh, exalt Jesus. First of all, it would be helpful if they'd actually read the Bible and see what kind of character Jesus really had. And they try to imagine this Jesus once again that's just, it, it defies uh, description. This Jesus that they try to think that this is, what would a perfect being be? Problem is he wasn't perfect. And the, and, and the great thing about the New Testament writers, they don't hide his imperfections, do they? When you were with us in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his weaknesses were on display there, weren't they? The things he said, the, the, you know, 
even contradicting his own his own commandments, right? The uh, angry displays that he had, the 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 profanity, you know, these sort of things. Now we're not trying to attack Jesus Christ here. We love Jesus Christ, but again, the principle being here, he doesn't become perfect until the things that he suffers. So when some people stand up and say, oh, Jesus was the only perfect being who lived on the earth, that's false uh, doctrine. Jesus was not a perfect being. He would be the first one to tell you that. In fact, he did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 48. He said, you're commanded to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He does not say as your Father in heaven or I am perfect. Now, when he rose from the dead to the th in third Nephi, in the Book of Mormon, he then is able to say, be perfect as your Father in heaven or as I am perfect. So Jesus himself would admit to you he wasn't perfect, right? And uh, even when he rose from the dead, he used profanity, didn't he? So is that wrong or, or right or what, right? Remember, he's walking with the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he once again said, fools. But he had said in the Sermon on the Mount, whosoever says, fool, She'll be in danger of hellfire. And yet he continued to use it all the way through his life. Uh, he called the Pharisees that multiple times. He rose from the dead. He called his own disciples fools, you know, and, and so forth. So don't, uh, the perfectionists out there, don't try to hold you to some standard that even Jesus Christ didn't, didn't meet, didn't reach up to, right? And so here again, the Hebrews teaching the human Jesus, the Jesus that descended below the angels, being born as a as a baby. He then became exalted and rose back above the angels, right? So here it is, the sufferings, and we're going to get this in um, chapter 5 as well. So the captain of our salvation became perfect through his sufferings, which most of took place the last 24 hours of his life. Uh, 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same flesh and blood. He became fully human, even though he was God. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And he destroyed the devil. And de deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage they feared death their whole life but he rescued them now from the bondage because now when you die if you lived a righteous life you don't go to hell with the devil anymore right let's see for verily he took not on him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of abraham becoming lower than the angel he didn't take the seed of angels he became the seed of abraham a man he became a man and uh, now the uh, took on him the nature of uh, of, of, of the um, of the angels, uh, signifying once again here that angels can reproduce and have children. We see that back in Genesis six with the Watchers, right? And also elaborated and further discussed in the book of uh, of Enoch, as well as several other apothecal sources, including the book of Jude, which is going to be coming up here in the New Testament. And first, um, uh, and and the Epistle of Peter as well. Okay, he says here in seventeen, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, so he could know what it was truly like to be human, so that he can 
Comfort us in our afflictions, in our trials, in our temptations. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. If he had not known temptation, he would be having a hard time relating to us when we plead for deliverance from temptation. Uh, let's look at chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, he's the true apostle, Jesus Christ, and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. So just as your great prophet Moses was so faithful, Jesus Christ was so faithful. For this man was counted worthy of even more glory than Moses received, who you, your ancestors could not look upon because his face would, would shine after speaking to the Lord. He had to put a veil over his face. For every house that is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, so conditional once again, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years, and they still tempted him and still had trouble believing him, even though he fed them daily uh, uh, manna from heaven, even though he made their clothes last for 40 years and, and did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. It wasn't enough for them. Verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And so they kill them all off. Uh, they let them all die over those 40 years, marching around in circles in the wilderness. And then he let their children inherit the promised land. But likewise, they've been cast out from the presence of God forever and ever. Even worse punishment than not going into the promised land. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Where while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some when they had heard did provoke. How but not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he great forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Right? They, they all died off before he let them come in. And to him and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, very good. We're going to move here to chapter 4. <coughs> chapter 4. <coughs> Verse 1. Let us therefore fear, 
lest the promise be left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Again, that's the true biblical doctrine. In today's world, nobody is afraid of God. Nobody fears God. Nobody fears if they're going to go to hell forever and ever and be shut off from God's presence. They preach this Jesus who just loves and loves, tolerates sin, tolerates sin, just loves everybody, and just everybody is good. And if they, oh, if they have some some uh, evil inclination, uh, you know, some addiction, oh, poor, poor them, right? Oh, poor them. Oh, God loves them anyways. Don't worry. They're going to be okay. Nope, that's not biblical doctrine, is it? We've looked at it hundreds of times going through the Bible. Here it is uh, also, once again, that we need to learn to fear God and fear that we might be cut, cast out of his presence. 13 through 16. <clears throat> Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Remember, before his throne, there's a sea of glass that he's able to look in and see all kinds of things. He also has a white stone in which he looks in. We'll read more about that when we get to Revelation chapter 2 to see all these things and all the creatures in his, in his domain. Fourteen. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus is our true high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities. He knows our infirmities because he was once like us, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Not perfect, not perfect, yet, but he was without sin. Now that Raises some questions, right? Because when you read his life, how can you say he didn't sin? Well, because he's the great law giver. He's above the law, right? By being the son of God, he could not technically sin. Not that he was not that suddenly he was like forced to, yeah, has no free agency, no free will, and he's forced to keep God's commandments. No, it's his choice to keep God's commandments. But but being the son of God, he could not sin, right? If he were to do something not correct, like lose his temper, which he said, if it be angry with your brother, you're in danger. Also, if you say fool, you're in danger of hellfire, but yet he's able to say these things and get away with it. So that's what it means, right? He's Because of the uh, his relationship to the father, being the son of God, not having the um, the Y chromosome being passed on from Adam on down through the male line. So he had no human father. He's not a direct descendant of Adam on the father's side. He only is through his mother. He got the Y chromosome, which is a perfect chromosome, directly from God the father and not the corrupted version that came down and was passed on from father to son through the uh, genealogy of Adam, therefore, because he did not have that corrupted Y chromosome, which came about and entered into the corruption when Adam fell and his body was, his DNA was changed, and he got, uh, um, got the Y uh, chromosome corrupted, Jesus had the perfect Y chromosome, therefore, again, not capable 
of sinning. Capable of doing the actions of sin, but sin not being held to his account. And therefore, he's able to die for us, being sinless, not having the Y, corrupted Y uh, uh, chromosome. Okay, let's continue on. This is great stuff, isn't it? And we'll look here at um, 16. Let us therefore come nigh unto the throne of, uh, come boldly, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we sin and fall short of the glory of God, do we approach God and ask for forgiveness? And if so, are we timid in our approach? Are we shy in our approach? Or do we come boldly in before the throne of God and say, your son died for my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me in his name. Boldly, right? That's what you're told here in the scriptures to do. Moving on to chapter 5. Verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sin. So the high priest goes in to the and sacrifices. He has to first sacrifice the animal for the forgiveness of his sins before he can sacrifice animals, then for the forgiveness of the other people. Jesus Christ does not have to do that because he's sinless, right? He does not have to atone for his own sins by killing a sacrificial animal. <clears throat> Verse 4, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called to God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to make the high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus Christ was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Interesting, the order of Melchizedek, the priest of the Melchizedek. Ooh. So there's, you mean, there the, once again, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church in all the world that teaches the two priesthoods, the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. Other churches never even heard of this, even though it's again in their own Bibles, they never heard of the Melchizedek order. But here it is right here, very clear and very plain, the Melchizedek order, Melchizedek priesthood, and Jesus held this priesthood who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, here we go again, this is the second time we told you about this already. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Ooh, so he had to learn to obey. He didn't just obey naturally, did he? When he was a little baby in the, when he was a little baby running around, you know, Nazareth, right? Maybe he didn't listen to his parents, just like normal uh, in infants and small children do now, you know. Maybe, uh, you know, they tell him not to eat something and he might eat it. Or they told him not to touch that hot thing, and, and he did, right? He had to learn obedience through the things that he severed. He had to learn to obey just like all of us. And if he needed to learn how to obey, how much more important is for us to also learn 
to follow him, to learn to uh, have a good obedience. As a result, we learned that God's going to make us suffer, isn't he? If he had to make his own son suffer through a lot of things in order to learn to become obedient to him, how many more sufferings is he going to have to give to us to make us learn to become obedient to God the Father? And here we go, verse 9. And being made perfect, so through the learning, through the learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having suffered and, and through these things, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So once again, he was not perfect. The Bible is very clear. The Bible even shows examples where he definitely was not perfect, right? Called a Gentile woman a dog, for example. It's probably not a nice thing to <laughs> you know to say, right? You know, and he refused to help people in some cases until he was moved with compassion and he healed them because they were not of his racial, uh, you know, racial background, right? <laughs> Just read the New Testament. They don't hide it, right? They, you know, give them credit. The authors of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not trying to hide it, uh, you know, the, all the weaknesses and the things that Jesus did incorrectly. It's, it's right there on display for everybody to see, right? Okay, so perfectionists, don't hold yourself to uh, or, or to ideals that even Jesus couldn't measure up to. And once and for all, forsake the false Jesus being preached in the public, in the public square, right? That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, so after, and so um, being made perfect through the things which he suffered. And then in verse 10, once again, called of God a high priest. After the order of Melchizedek again, right? Jesus Christ held the Melchizedek priesthood. He was made a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when the time for and for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you Jews should be the teachers. You've been living as law Moses for thousands of years. You should be the teachers to the Gentiles who are just hearing about the God of Israel for the first time in their life. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles and oracles of God. You should be the teachers and the examples instead. I'm trying to teach you the very basic principles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat, right? You have the need of just faith, repentance, baptism, and laying on hands for the receipt of the Holy Ghost, right? That's all you, that's all you can handle. But you should be having the, the milk, the, the greater mysteries, the greater things of God. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Oh, interesting, right? I've heard recently a couple of times in my own congregation, people talking and local leaders trying to talk about how, oh, we shouldn't pay pay attention to the, to the meat. We should just pay attention to the milk. But Paul had already said when he was a, you know, when he was a child in the Christian faith, you know, he did childish things. But we became an adult and put away childish things. And here they're talking about the need to put away the milk and go to the meat. 
nobody who has been fully uh, taught and uh, instructed in gained the testimony of the meat has ever left. Never left the church, never lost their testimony, uh, you know. But those who concentrate just on the milk, then when they hear some controversy or some potential uh, uh, point of contention, they don't have a foundation. They don't have a testimony because they were just here on the milk and not the meat of the gospel. And that's what he's saying here, right? So uh, everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. It's just a baby, just a little baby Christian. Oh, just faith, repentance, baptism, baby, baby. No, that's not how you gain uh, testimony unto obtaining your salvation and exaltation. That takes study of the meat. And that's what it says here. I know that there's even leaders at the highest levels that would teach you, oh, you should just concentrate on the milk. But that's contrary to Paul. And contrary to the author of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, it's contrary to biblical doctrine. And by doing so, they're setting people up to become dissatisfied, uh, to uh, suffer through misery, as they one day can very easily lose their testimony and lose their faith because they're, as Paul, as, as the author of Hebrews just said, they're just the baby in the faith. Babies are not strong. Babies are weak. And, you know, they're, they're not, uh, you know, able to be self-sufficient. You cannot be self-sufficient in the Christian faith if you're still a baby, if you're still looking at the meat and the milk instead of the milk plus the meat. Okay, so um, 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, the mature Christians the mature Latter-day Saints, the mature whatever you want to call yourself, it's the meat, strong meat, not just meat, not just the mysteries, but the strong mysteries of the uh, gospel that will um, uh, belong to them that are full Christian maturity. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, so great principles being taught there. Too bad they don't teach that in church. They're teaching right now false doctrine about concentrating on the milk. But then they wonder why uh, it, the baptisms have gone way down in, in you know, in, in, uh, in the United States, for example, and, uh, you know, and stuff because the people don't have this foundation. They're babies in the, in the faith, and they're not strong, mature adults. Paul said, he, when he became a, a spiritual adult, he put away the childish things. But strong meat belongs to them that are full of, of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, chapter 6, so we'll look at 1 through 12. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, JST gives us a little bit of Better having left behind the beginning of the doctrine, right? So even Joseph Smith, in his inspired version, said, "Put away the basics." So those of you, you may mean well, trying to teach your local congregations that you should focus just on on the on the basic principles. It's not in accordance 
with the will of God as taught in the Holy Scriptures. Holy Scriptures say we need to grow and become mature Christians learning the meat. So, therefore, leaving the principles, uh, the basic principles, faith, repentance, baptism, through the Holy Ghost, leaving the principles of the of Christ, let us go unto perfection. Perfection not only in your moral behavior, but perfection in your knowledge of God. That cannot happen if you're still stuck on the milk. It'll never happen. You will not grow into perfection. Let's go into perfection, not laying again. The foundation of repentance from dead works and faith. So, so yes, those are important. The milk is important. Keep the milk, but go to the meat is what he's saying here. Of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now that's the, the problem, right? Those who study the meat of the gospel, not just the milk, gain greater and greater testimonies than those who only study the milk. Now as a result, once those who are fully instructed in the meat, if they turn their back on the church, you will not see them come back. They will hate the they will know the gospel is true they will know the church is true they will know jesus is the messiah but they would they turned into hatred of these things and would actually kill jesus christ if they had a chance to do so so if they fall away it's impossible if they fall away to renew them again in the repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the son of god afresh they would kill him again and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh into cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to saints and do minister. What a great promise. Those of you are doing your best to serve in the church and serve in the callings of which you're being asked to serve in. God will not forget your work and your labor, and he will reward you accordingly. And we desire to every one of you to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and, pa and patience inherit the promises. So don't be slothful. Just continue to be the followers of the leaders who will bring uh, who through faith, uh, shall help you inherit the promises through faith and patience. So, what a great uh, chapter! A few chapters here in the book of Hebrews. We learned a lot of great and important uh, uh, things here. 
And so once again, we also want to invite those of you who are not yet members of God's kingdom and God's church upon the earth to become such. We'll put in the description of this video a link to reach out to the missionaries of the church. Just reach out. Let them know you're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're ready to repent of your sins, to become baptized, and they will help you to do so and to prepare yourself for that great uh, moment. For those of you following in activity in the church, we welcome you with strong, full, wide-open arms to come on back, come back to the saints of God, to be able to participate once again in the worship services and in worshiping your Lord and God. In closing, once again, we testify the truthfulness of these things. These things are true. Jesus Christ does live today. He was the Messiah. He died for the sins of the world, just as the New Testament declared. In closing, we further also extend God's blessing upon you, that you may have safe shelter overhead, that you may have food to eat, that you may have the basic financial resources to carry out your mission upon the earth. We bless you with these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.